listeners, welcome to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters who are seeking help with their next game session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. Um, So, finished WandaVision. Oh, yeah. It was really good. And I'm wondering, is there a way to do... Okay, so there are Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are in the the mutant family right yeah more or less they're they're that's my understanding they're x-men yes. yeah mutants they're right mu- they're part of the mutant mutant power sets yeah go go mutant powers okay yeah. so is there a way to do that in D mutant powers yeah to have like a whole campaign based on mutant powers instead of magic i mean in the comics the mutant powers are basically magic like, sometimes they try to explain the mutant powers as, like, oh, this is, like, an evolutionary thing. Like, like Angel, right? Uh, right. Or Archangel, like, uh, grew wings so they could fly as, like, a mutant power that evolved suddenly. Not that that's how evolution works or mutations. That doesn't matter. Um, but, like, functionally, they're all basically magic powers. Like, some of them seem mildly biological. Um, but, like, you know hex powers are not that's magic this is magic powers so the question that you're asking is sort of dependent on is it just that you want to reflavor your magic abilities in a in a game as saying like they're mutant abilities instead of magic abilities or are you thinking like having player characters who have sort of an eruption of new abilities that they suddenly gain uh the second one. Oh, okay so yes obviously it's all homebrew right right um but there is a style of play in dungeons and dragons where you can um level multiple character classes at the same time um and gain those abilities simultaneously okay so um so you would sort of reskin that to be to to be yeah to be like your mutant powers right so you you're gaining you know wizard spell progression while being some other class yeah but i suppose i i just want to ha- suddenly have laser beams i mean you could do that m- m- you you can always make this choice <laughs> <laughs> you can always say like i want to play the game i want to play uh which there's nothing wrong with that especially if the players at the table are all on board with with that kind of cool thing um you could also like suddenly input like a single magical ability in which you can use that as much as you want and in fact many of the races in dungeons and dragons have some sort of built-in right. racial magic spells that they yeah can like breath weapon for dragonborn and things like that right or or like the genasi the the air fire earth wind or water genasi all have and heart and heart genasi <laughs> the classic heart heart genasi um their powers combined. they all have the power to put their powers combined and form Voltron. So no, no, no. It's Admiral Planet. <laughs> Admiral Planet. <laughs> so you can you can absolutely add in like, oh, you have you know a fire sword ability. You can you can make whenever you want, and that that is just an ability that you now have as a character. Right. Use it as much as you want. So what I'm thinking of is the characters accidentally go into some sort of green ooze and come out with a mutant ability. Okay. This is just Ninja, Ninja Turtles. This is are we just doing Ninja Turtles? Now? No, no, no. It's Ninja Mutants. It's very different. <laughs> yeah. No turtles, are, unless it's a it's a um, turtle. Uh, yeah. Nin- Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, 
I mean, you can, you know, nothing's stopping you. Um, I think the thing that I would be wary about is, is that you want to give some abilities that are interesting and can be used in interesting ways, mm-hmm. um, but also are not overly broken, right? Right. Um, although functionally, once you give the abilities to your, to your players, you then maybe unlock the opportunity to like continue to expand on them. Or um, take them back. Yeah, you could. You could take them back. Also, you can, you know, play a bit of a munchkin game where functionally, like, your players are just really powerful. Uh, so you're just going to pair them against more powerful enemies yeah, as a totally. result of their, you know, increased ability to just cast fireball whenever they want or whatever it is that they that you've given them. So yeah. I think there's there's total interesting opportunity in there. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'll think about it. Um, but for now, we have a next session help question. Oh, good. This Those one, are like the questions that we do on the podcast. That's like the whole point of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's like the whole. That's like the whole podcast. Uh, if we didn't do the questions, it would be a very short podcast. It would be very. That was it. The, yeah. the whole talk about it would Ninja just Turtles. be the banter at the beginning. That was. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this question is from Books a Lot Forty Two. Oh, not Books a Little. Books a Lot. Books a Lot is like way in on the books. And they have the answer. They do have the answer. To life, the universe, and everything on, yeah. the, on the back end. Which I would assume they know what 42 means, you know, because the book's a lot. And they're 42 years old. And they're also 42 years yeah, old. Yeah, so they've been around. When you're 42 years old, do you know the answer to life, the universe, and everything? Is that a thing that... No, you've just read The Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. I'm assuming if you're 42, you've read The Hitchhiker's Guide. Otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah, right. Get on it. 42 years you haven't read The Hitchhiker's Guide. Come on. Come on, get get in there. All right, so Books A Lot 42 asks, should I have let the player have this monster mount? Oh. I'm running a Red Hand of Doom conversion for 5E, and currently my players are at the Battle of Brindle, where an army of hobgoblins and assorted beasties are attempting to overrun the city. One portion of this battle contains a monster called a Blue Spawn Thunder Lizard, Basically, a rhinoceros crossed with a blue dragon. My bard player successfully used Charm Monster, and he wanted to bring the character to the stables and try to keep it there. At the time, I told him he couldn't. This creature was an evil entity in the vein of devils and demons, and in an hour, it would know he had charmed it and would immediately attempt to bust out. My reasoning was that I felt this creature was too powerful to be a mount, and I felt like he was just trying to get this powerful creature under his command due to nothing more than a very generous reading of the rules of Charm Monster. After thinking about it for a little bit, though, I feel like I should at least have let him try. Sure, it probably would have done exactly what I said, but I think that might have been more fun than just saying a flat-out no. Should I just let it ride, or should I retcon it and allow him to try, even though I've already told him the probable outcome? Hmm. What do you think? So, so there's there's a couple of interesting questions in here because one of them is a question about you know the mechanics of charming a monster and and having that, and then the second question here is like the right response as a game master when you feel like you might have made a mistake, mm-hmm. um, which is which is always something worthwhile to consider. So let's let's tackle them one piece at a time. First, can I just say I'm not much of a horse person. What? You're not the whore, the token horse guy? I'm not, the, I'm not a horse guy. And I have always found mounts in Dungeons & Dragons to be largely uninteresting. They're like a pet that you have that you largely forget about, except that it makes you move faster, which for the most part we don't really care about. <laughs> 
Um, and unless you're making a character centered around mounted combat, mounts in combat are actually also not very interesting. It's either another thing that now you also have to control on your turn, which makes your turns take longer, um, and gives you like free attacks on your turns for the mounts for the horse that's coming around and kicking people for you. Um, or it's, you know, the backpack that your character has that they never really take off, but it also never seems to get in the way. And the mounts the same way where like you were just on a mount and now you're not and you're standing in combat (laughs) and the mount has, has like mysteriously vanished. Um, and it plays no role in combat. And also like, we completely forget that it was ever there in the first place. The best mount I've ever seen is like a statue that you can call upon to bring into life to like fly you across the map and then turns back into a statue and goes back in your bag. Yeah. I, and, and like the paladin has the ability to summon a mount. Um, like I, I, I have seen mounts used in interesting and creative ways. I just personally have never found giving my players mounts to be much of an interesting engagement in player engagement in the game um that all being said i'm sure other people have found great opportunity for mounts and i'll bet if i was more of a horse person i might think of a mount more as as like a uh, an important and engaging you know npc or character within the within the world of the game i mean once i unlocked teleporting and breath of the wild i was like okay bye horses don't care about you wasn't wasn't a whole lot of point to it except turns out you needed to know how to do it for the end battle. Spoilers. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, so anyway, the just just as a point to say, I've had lots of players try to get really interesting and cool mounts, and there is a, a, a you know a value to that as a game master. I wanna I wanna help you make the player make the game that my players want to want to participate in. But I will say that personally, I don't think they're very interesting. And most of the time, when a player is trying to like acquire a really interesting mount. It's a little unclear what what exactly it is that they want to do with it. Usually, it means they want to fly, but don't want to have to like learn the fly spell or anything, right. <laughs> um, or or something along. Or they want you know a pet that can eat people. It's like it's like in Pokemon. They want to they add fly or they add swim. Right. Surf. Yeah, surf. So functionally, from the perspective of a mount in mechanical value, I don't ever want to have a player have a pet that is too powerful. Um, unless the player's character is centered around having a pet that is powerful. If I'm playing a Beastmaster Ranger, I have a powerful pet. Um, that is a part of the, the function of my of my class. It's a function of my character. If you're playing the Tiger King, you have to have a tiger. Right. Um, but if I'm you know just playing a wizard or whatever, I don't really want to give my wizard player a like super powerful... Uh, pet that they get to command to go do stuff dragon yeah um you know some of this might be like the mutant ability we talked about at the beginning of the podcast where like at some point you go cool just everybody has you know an interesting powerful pet that's also like go hanging out with them and killing stuff with them um and that maybe has some some value but but ultimately i think about this very similar to how i think about um like a magic item that i want to give a player i i want to be careful about the amount of power i want to hand off to to a player and a pet is is doubly that because now i also have to play the personality of this of this pet or make the player play it yeah or add it into combat right and it's extra turn extra time in combat and and things like that. So I always want to be careful mechanically about that kind of thing. Now, the spells like Charm Monster, um, Charm Person, uh, um, Animal Friendship, stuff like that, 
uh, present a really interesting opportunity and challenge for you as a game master because you're always going to have to make this choice. You're, you're always going to have players that are trying to like walk into the shop and charm person on the shopkeep and, and you know try to walk out of the, the shop with their magic sword without the, ever having paid for anything. And you're going to need to decide what are the limits of these spells for you in your campaign. There are some mechanical limits on the description of the spell. But at the end of the day, like there's a lot of wiggle room for the spells themselves. Um, and you're going to need to decide as a game master what, what you're willing to allow and what you're not willing to allow. One of the things that I've always leaned in on is the idea that the, the monster, the creature, the animal, the, the person who you cast the spell on is aware that the spell has been cast on them Yeah. and becomes immediately angry at you, untr uh, you know, untrusting of you, um, hates you for the sort of mind domination that you have done on them, uh, forcing them to like you during the time in which they like you. So they, so I allow a player to get away with it, um, but then I make it, you know, this shopkeep that you charmed, you got away with this, and now they're horrified, they're terrified of you, they're so angry with you, and maybe that was worth it. Maybe that you know that was a choice that you got to make. Um, but now they, you can never come into this town again. Right. Like that is that is an ultimate violation of a person to basically like force them to feel a way about you. And that's exactly what Books a Lot did. He let the charm happen, and he said um, the creature would immediately once the charm wore off, he would immediately um, know that he was charmed by that person. And would attempt to bust out of the cage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, I think I would have made the same choice. Um, it's a powerful monster. You don't want to just give the player a, a pet like that. Um, and I think it's a, it is a um, too easy a shortcut. Yeah, is is part of the problem here. It, it is one thing to to be like, I'm going to really take my time as a player, and I'm going to make it a priority that. I want to be friends with this monster in such a way that it's going to follow me around and be my best friend. Um, and when I cast the spell Charm Monster and the Game Master just gets to be like, yeah, I guess you just have a pet, you know, whatever powerful monster now. Um, what I do is I take I take an unfair and sort of ridiculous shortcut mm -hmm. to it, to an answer that I want to get to. But, yes, I agree with you on all of that. Um but would you have played it out? Because what Books a Lot is saying is that they didn't play it out. They just said no for these reasons. Would you Would you have played it out? You know, I don't know the whole situation here, but personally, yeah, I would have played it out. You would have let you would have let them try to mm -hmm. bring the monster into the corral or whatever, and then had it the charm wear off and play it all out. Yep, um, and I would have had the monster like basically be like super super hateful of that of that player like Break now things going in rage oh yeah um and uh and i think that might have been an interesting way to resolve that uh the only thing that i wouldn't let a player do is get out of the middle of a combat with a monster using charm monster um because the text of of those spells is that you can't really be in the middle of fighting them or whatever you can't totally. have already initiated like fighting with them uh, before casting the spell, but but if they had come in with the with the intent, like okay, we're gonna open up with Charm Monster, we're going to like um, use it, and then and then I would have made it like okay, well this is a choice you're making to basically put off 
the rage of this monster Make for an it hour. worse. Right. Uh, you can you can maybe get some benefit out of it and use it to solve some other challenge, some other problem that's going on in the world. But it's going to be worse for you later on. Um, yes, and I, I agree with that. I would have played it out, but I also would draw the line at it killing the player. Like you wouldn't let it kill the player? Yeah, I wouldn't let the mount, the monster, get to the point where it would kill the player. I probably wouldn't either. I don't want to. I don't want to kill a player for yeah. the choice that they made. No, I like this as a consequence, but I don't think that it is. Um, I think that would be too far. But I might knock a player unconscious. Oh yeah, as oh, the monster yeah. targets well, you, them down. You know, you'd be surprised what you can live right. through. Right, and force the and force the players as a whole to have to finally fight this monster. Except now it is wholly focused on killing this one. Yeah, maybe this one character. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I agree. I, I it's a story, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to punish you, the player, for making a choice. If I was gonna do that, I wouldn't have let you make the choice in the first place. Right. Exactly. Um, I'm trying to tell a good story, and I think taking a shortcut to be like, cool, I'm, I'm best friends with this monster now, and he's my, he's my friend for forever, with a spell, doesn't tell a very good story. Which right. is, which is a part of, part of the reason why I want to make sure. That when you when you take that kind of shortcut, that there's a in-game story reason sort of turnaround. There's a there's a, a scales or 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 a waiting, you know, uh, a seesaw to happen with within that yeah. that storyline. So instead of doing all that, books a lot just flat out said no, um, and mm-hmm. now is regretting that choice. What should they do? Anytime I've made a I've, I've made a mistake. Um, I always want to be willing as a game master to cop to the mistake to the players. So if I if I said I made this choice and I thought about it afterwards and I thought it wasn't the right choice to make, um, then I I would open up the next session with it. Um, when you sit down for the next session, I would be willing to sit down and go, hey, uh, I wanted everybody to know um, this player tried to do this thing last time and I said no to that. And I thought about it, and I and in retrospect, I think I should have said yes. I think it would have been a, a more interesting story for us. I think you were you were in line with the rules and everything to be able to use that ability the way that you you described. And I probably should have allowed it. So the next time it comes up, I'll allow that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with with doing that. In the same way that sometimes I'll I'll turn to a player and I'll be like, that ability is not going to work that way right now. But I might change my mind in the future uh, for the next time you try to use it. Yeah, so don't be discouraged. You could you could maybe get away with that next time. Right. And and it sounds like, for, for books a lot, the reason why you feel like you should say something about it or that you should talk to the player about it is because you don't want them to feel discouraged from using this ability in the future, right. which is a great reason to, to want to bring that up, especially if you felt like, after you said no to this player, they were unhappy about it. They they seemed uh, discouraged. You know, they stopped suggesting interesting ideas after that. Like you might have observed that the player felt really shut down hmm. by you saying no to this, which would be the perfect reason to turn around in the next session and say, "Hey, I think I really shut you down, and I want to apologize." Um, you know, I was I was trying to make a choice that I thought was the right choice for the for the campaign, but in retrospect, I think I could have made a different choice as a game master, and I want you to feel encouraged to use use abilities in creative ways, including this kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't retcon it because I don't think that you could reasonably re like go back to that moment and role play right. it out without like 
then suddenly they'll be mad at you that you role played it so that the monster is is thrashing right. around and being mean. And, and in my mind, you've, you it sounds like you you know books a lot. You've already moved on yeah. to to the other parts of this. So I I wouldn't retcon it either. Um, but I think it's worthwhile to to have a, a little bit of that discussion at the beginning of the group to say this didn't sit with me. Yeah. Let's let's talk about it and then move on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, books a lot um, sounds like a Care Bear name. Oh, it does, totally does. Yeah, sound right. Like a Care Bear. <laughs> <laughs> With um, like a b- big book symbol in the. Yeah, exactly. The yeah, they're they're tummy cutie mark, if you will. Right. Um, and it's like classic, you know, Care Bear state. 90, 90s cartoon where books a lot like sits and reads books the whole time and is kind of like the nerdy Care Bear. Yeah, or but they like they all need help and books a lot like knows the book on that and right. goes and helps them and has then, the has the obscure knowledge important yeah. to help them but then at the end goes back to fun of him. goes back to his books and everyone goes oh books a lot <laughs> oh books classic a lot. books and then a nothing lot. changes for the next episode yep totally <laughs> good yeah. question yeah. uh we nice are moving job, on to another next session help question from flying dutch 127 Ooh, like the flying dutchman well the flying dutch them yeah, it's, it's just a flying but it's just one flying nope. dutch it's 127 of them so it's a it's, flock of flying it's Dutchers. the flying dutch them no okay yeah i guess so <laughs> i'm funny i'm funny damn it. if you say so i do yeah i'm so funny okay <laughs> shut up um okay uh flying dutch 127 asks what are your methods for involving critical injuries in your campaign mm. I loved the FFG, Fantasy Flight Games, system of critical injuries. I do not know what that is. Mm. When someone went down to zero wound threshold, this system's uh, hit points, the player went unconscious and would roll a D100 to figure out what type of injury they would sustain. After they got, they had to either go to a doctor, oh, after they got hit, or after they got that type, yeah. uh, they had to either go to a doctor or rest for X amount of times to heal. If they didn't and went down again, they would add plus 10 to the D100 roll, and eventually they could die. Mm-hmm. This, of course, is not 5th edition D&D, but I liked the concept nonetheless. At times I see how players can just get smacked around, and eight hours later they just get back up like nothing really happened. I think having critical injuries, and the group's IGM as well, makes for better narrative in some regards, or at least changes the type of play to take into consideration the mortality of the character. But to the question, do you incorporate a critical injury system into your games? And if so, what are the rules? When does it happen? Give me all the details. So, uh, man, lots of, lots of good parts in this. So first of all, um, I love the idea of critical injuries. Um, it goes along with all of my all of like my favorite parts of of the game, which are like um, wounds tell a story. You know, uh, when you have um, impactful things to your character, that like helps further a story. Um, and the idea that you now have to like put some real effort into overcoming those those impactful things to your character like further adds to that. So I love the concept of wounds. And there's actually a bunch of RPGs that have that incorporate wounds of, of all sorts of different kinds and, and different ways of doing this kind of thing. Um, lots of other RPGs, rather than using like a hit point system, use, you know, a fatigue system or something like that, 
where you are working down your fatigue and then you take wounds and those wounds represent um, you know, making it more challenging or difficult to accomplish stuff later on, right? Yeah, you know what what brings to mind actually is um, the game Thornwatch, mm-hmm. where um, you get scars as you go along. I think and... they're literally called wounds. In oh, wounds! Yeah. I thought they were called scars. Maybe I thought like if it's been you, a while since I played. If you helped someone, like if you won the thing, you got a, a boon, and if you lost, you got a scar. No, maybe. And then it went into your your like deck, and when you drew a scar, you had like a painful memory of whatever and. Or, you know, maybe that scar ached or something. Mm, mm-hmm. It just, I like the idea of um, legacy games in that way where, like, things happen to your character and they're permanent. And they, they, they you know, you're going to have to write that down on your character sheet and remember. And mm-hmm. and that's a good way to put it put it in. Um, uh, ultimately, I think there's actually, like, a lot of really good systems. And I'll bet a ton of stuff online without even looking for it um, that adapts a lot of these things to to fifth edition now the way that dungeons and dragons is designed hit points really are a legitimate like you've been wounded and now i cast a spell and now your wound goes away um but it wouldn't be that hard to adjust it into a more fatigue oriented system instead of a hit point oriented system where your hit points are just a representation of like how much of a of a not a wounding, but like a, a, a tiring you can take in a battle. Like exhaustion you, Yeah, an exhaustion level. Um, and then getting reduced to zero hit points is not mean that you're dead or even that you're unconscious, but rather that you, now you've suffered a wound. Um, you could also incorporate, as a homebrew, um, damage over a certain threshold causes, causes a wound. So basically, if you take enough damage all at once, then that would be a, a wound that you that you suddenly incorporate as well. So I think there are some really interesting ways to do that kind of thing. Um, and then building in a way, a, a, a something in your world that can have a way to cure those wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually a big fan. There was a there was a game ages ago. You and I have talked about this a whole lot, but called Star Wars Galaxies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Star Wars Galaxies had a really interesting, this was an MMORPG. Uh, that came out back in in the I guess the early 90, 2000s, blah, blah, blah. So 2003 or 2004 blah, blah, blah. or something like that. <laughs> um, and what was very interesting about the system is that um, you had three sort of health bars, and one of them was health, and one of them was action, and one of them was mind. Um, and as you used those or took damage from from uh, use specific abilities that that use some of those resources or took damage to those particular areas, you would acquire wounds in those areas. And the wound would basically reduce your maximum of that bar. So if you took a wound in your health, then your maximum health would go down. But the same thing would be true for action or mind. And then you had to go and receive care in different ways in order to heal those wounds. So for health, you would go to a doctor or a medic or something like that, and they could they could fix your wounds for health and action. But for mind... You actually had to go to like a cantina and listen to music or watch a dancer. And those were the ways that you repaired your mind wounds. And since uh, doctors and medics had to use their mind ability in order to heal health and action wounds, it meant that doctors and medics had to go to the cantina in order to heal heal their mind wounds. Mm-hmm. So 
functionally, it became a really interesting system where you could, you know, spend all of your time in the game being a dancer, being a a musician. My older sister was a master dancer in that game. And this is how I I even knew about the game is because she was like obsessed with it. Um, but it, but it creates a, a really interesting economy of player driven actions, and eventually they get rid of the whole the whole thing and they changed it to all sorts of other stuff. But while it was there, it was a really interesting system for for incorporating that concept of like I go out an adventure and then I have to relax. And I think you could do some really similar stuff here, where not only a wound can a wound be, uh, you know, a uh, like you said, like um, a hindrance on your character, but it can also be like an important part of your story. It can be an important part of of what do you do next. Um, when I have gone on a long battle, um, maybe I did many many battles along the the course of my of my engagement in this in this sweet campaign where I'm I'm chasing after you know various different elementals, um, and uh, you know I'm, I fought fire elementals and earth elementals and and i'm coming back to like the inn and i've got burns on my body and broken bones and stuff like that and i'm you know hobbling into the inn and need to like really take some time to to repair those things and maybe i wind up with with scars and and i wind up with um maybe permanent changes to the mechanics of my character but but they can also just be uh an opportunity to to really make the resting period a lot more meaningful if I fall into a bunch of sticker bushes, mm-hmm. I, you know, it stands to reason that the next time I go into a tavern, they're going to go, whoa, what the heck happened to you? You're covered in, you're covered in cuts and band-aids. And, and then I can say like, ah, I fought a Spaniosaurus and Spaniosaurus Rex, didn't you know? And then make up a huge story and it could be part of the fun of my character. I think that's an interesting idea. Although I'd probably say that like minor, like scratches and and stuff like that could probably be healed by spells. What? Um, they could count. I mean, personally, I would probably make like more significant injuries. It's a poisoned uh, sticker bush. All right. So I actually have purple welts everywhere where oh, I got hit. All right. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do like the idea of the story. I think the thing that I would be hesitant on is when you're giving injury to players um you want to make sure that you're striking a balance of handing out wounds in such a way that they are interesting for the player but not overwhelming for instance i don't want to cut off my my player character's hands uh when they like we're in the middle of just a a goofy fight with a (laughs) with like a blink dog or something like that like I, I do want to be thoughtful about the significance of the wounding that I'm going to do uh, within the, the story and, and campaign of what it is that the players are, are in the middle of. Um, you know, I want to, if, if I'm going to do something as major as like make a, make a player character lose their hand or something like that, then I want it to be in a situation that is that makes for a great story and, and makes for an interesting situation. And maybe that has, you know, mechanical changes, or maybe it doesn't uh, for the character. Maybe they, maybe they, it, it doesn't impact their, their play in any way whatsoever, you know? Um, uh, but either way, I want to be thoughtful about making sure that that's a good part of the story and not, not just, you know, 
you you were too close to your fireball when you when you set it off. Well, that is a danger. Which uh, maybe that makes a good for a good story. I mean, but I'm if, just saying, like, if I lived in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, I'm sure I would be dead already because of how you know close proximity to fireball I would be. I imagine they would be going off all over the place, everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Fourth of July fireworks. Oh yeah, it's It'd actually just be fireballs. fireballs exploding in the air and breath weapons. Yeah, with a little bit of dazzle. Right. Um, ER, being an ER doctor during Fourth of July in the D and D world sounds sounds way way worse. No, no, <laughs> it's really easy. Cure all wounds, oh, and yeah, here's yeah. a potion. <laughs> we were just talking about this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just how easy it is to get over these things. Um, yeah. Well, flying Dutch one two seven. I I hope that helps. You know, I say that a lot. I've noticed editing this podcast. <laughs> I always go, "Hey, such and such a person. I hope that helps." Yeah. Hey, everyone else except for that person. I hope that was fun to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? That's better. Um, but uh, we should take a break. All right. We should take a break. Okay. Break. We're back. How was your break? Uh, it was great. I sat here with a stopwatch to time you on your break. Really? You were just timing the break? I wanted to see how long it would take you to do what, you're, what you did. That is phenomenally um, what's, what's, uh, coincidental. It's phenomenal, that is phenomenally coincidental. Why? What would you do on your break? I, I created my own stopwatch. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Is that why it took you... I, I made a little mechanical stopwatch. Is that why it took you five hours and 23 minutes and 47 seconds? Uh, well, not according to my stopwatch. Well, your stopwatch was only created five hours and 47 minutes into my stopwatch's mm, time. Now I'm wondering whether or not my stopwatch doesn't work correctly. <laughs> <laughs> How many... What time does it say? Well, it says that it was, that it was seven hours, so... What? Uh, it should only be like one minute <laughs> yeah well i mean that's why i'm worried it doesn't work right <laughs> all right back with the drawing board yeah okay it's 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 made of largely sand and water guess we're gonna take a break yeah <laughs> take another break <laughs> i don't know how long it'll be though we only it's have the one ad work. as far as i know <laughs> At this point in time if you would like to um uh advertise i have no idea how you do that Oh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, it's really true. Actually, Anchor does all of the ads for you. We just we just promoted them with our ads, so I feel fine doing it again. <laughs> Here's another ad for Anchor. Yeah, they do it for you, so this I don't is have a to. Product integration ad. There you go. We should get paid for this. Yeah. Um. Hey, let's instead ask a GM. Oh, okay, let's do that. Um, Sid Sky Eleven. Sid Sky. Sid Sky. Sid Sky asks how would one go about a rave from my understanding you just have to talk to like the uh, you know kids just out of high school um <laughs> and it's Bouncer. usually like in a forest or something or like an old warehouse don't forget your pacifier yeah it's a whole thing actually I mean, i've never been but like i'm basing all of this off of that one samurai jack episode <laughs> <laughs> your entire rave experience is a samurai jack episode yeah it's yeah. brilliant you get a sword um okay no they say how would one go about a rave 
I somehow need to come up with a rave in D&D, but I want to be a little more fun than just having dancing lights always going on. Any recommendations on any other fun spells or ideas? It's an interesting question. How do you role play something? So I'm assuming this would be a role play because this there's not really like a actions in combat or any, anything unless unless you're fighting something during a raid. Yeah, I'm assuming they're going just like a dance party. Right. And they want to have spells that are adding to the ambiance. Like my first thought would be like like a fog machine, but it's actually like something casting fog in the okay. corner. Okay. Fogging up the room. To fog up to like fog up the room. Mm-hmm. So your your thought process is like, how do I explain the concept of a rave using a bunch of spells? Yeah. Okay. That There's, wasn't that the, wasn't how I read. That's this the that lighting designer in me. Well, because the they want flashing lights to go off. So then I was like, what else would I have? Okay, if I want like a disco ball, maybe I would have some sort of like crystal, and on the inside is um, a wand of dazzle, hmm. or okay. color spray, color spray, color spray confetti cannons that that shoot off could you what about um like a darkness spell that turns on and off super super fast oh strobing so then it's like a strobe light that's pretty good but you're you are the light from your your anti-strobe lighting because rather than doing a flashing light you're just turning off all the lights in the rave yeah really really fast that's cool i like anti-strobe okay and then there's there's got to be something like oh you know what we use snowball that's a fun one Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is literally a spell, you know, Dancing Lights, which was already mentioned in the... In oh, the I thought question. you were going to say there's literally a rave but, spell. You could just cast the rave spell. Ooh, Magnificent Mansion. To host your raven. To host your raven. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Uh, I like that. There's a spell... Um, there's some higher level spells that are like... That do lights, but also do damage. And as a game master, I'd probably allow it to... To do like a more mild version You're of it. You're in some sort of magical bubble in your magnificent mansion that casts or, so that there's no damage. Sure. Or it's just a milder version. Of, like you could do like the moonlight spell or, or whatever to help give ambiance to the outside of your mansion. Mm-hmm. Or moonbeam, you know? What? Um, what? So that might be. Oh, is that the spell we're going to do That's later? That's the spell we're going to oh, do. sorry. <laughs> you ruined the surprise. Oh, well, I was... Trying to come up with good light spells. Moonbeam is a light spell. What's funny is that all the listeners already know it because it's part of the title, but you didn't. You're the only one who didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody's up on it except for me. Uh, what I was actually trying to think about is how do you role play out a rave? So most Dungeons & Dragons role play, by necessity, is talking. What? Um, because it's often very hard to get your players to role play anything but talking well and in fact most of the time if you're role playing something that's not talking um you're you're bordering onto larp and i have absolutely no problem with larp i think it's it's awesome uh but um but a lot of role playing game players don't want to necessarily take the steps into like acting out something with their body so Um, what you do is you play music really loud Okay. And you flash the lights and um, make everybody try to talk over it. And it's something like, hey, how to, bathroom? Like that. So you're, so they call just to make it, make the ambiance feel like a rave that they're trying to talk to somebody during? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Or maybe the goal isn't to necessarily do a talking role-playing challenge. Maybe they have to dance. Um, It's just a dance contest. It's a dance-off. Yeah, but you're actually going to make your players actually dance. I mean, what else? (laughs) Suddenly I have no players. No one wants to dance. Oh, no. No, I I mean, I could see like you, you you know, you you describe the scene of the rave. You talk about the different elements that you have to go. uh, you're, You're essentially discovering a mystery maybe in my head. You have to go to the bar. You have to go to the DJ booth. Um you know, you have to find someone who doesn't belong, maybe like on the dance floor, or maybe you have to find the VIP room, get mm. past the bouncers. Like there's there's a bunch of stuff you could do inside of a rave. Yeah, although a lot of these things seem like they are other other plotline things. Like yeah. you're, you're trying to accomplish something at this rave, not just go have a rave. Totally. And, you know, we don't know the full story. They totally. just need to come up with a rave in D&D. So in my head... It's the setting for something else in their plot. They're not just going to go do it just to do it. Although I, I am interested by the idea of, um, you know, uh, real people in real life uh, go and do things. And this is like an what? exciting thing to go do. Like, you know, I'm going to go to a dance party. Like, that's that's an exciting thing to go do. It's um, exciting because it means that it's non-pandemic times. Well, yeah, that's especially true. Um, but, you know, like that is a event. This is sort of like, you know, we sit down and we have dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, and we cook the food and then and then we sit down and we eat the dinner and we're having conversation while we're eating dinner. Um, and like, I'm always really interested in how can I make that an interesting, how can I do those events, do those kinds of things at a table with players where all we can do is describe what is happening. Right. How do you, how do you really encompass the ritual yeah. of the moment? Um, and I think some stuff like, uh, things that don't involve talking are really interesting role-play moments that are especially challenging to, to run as a game master. But how do you like let players go to a dance party as their characters and still make that interesting to give to the players as like something, what are you doing? You know, how are you enjoying this dance party? How are you engaging in I mean, in the rave that is going on, I would make it a whole like a skill challenge. Like you go up to someone and you're going to do um, your your best moves. You know, roll to see. Oh, you think how like, you do. like dance circle appears and now you're having a dance off with somebody? No, in the, not in the rave kind not, of thing. Not like That's that. A competition. No, not like that. Like one on one, you're going up to some hottie, and you're putting <laughs> on your best moves, and you you roll to see how you do. And I roll a 17. Oh, she's digging it. All right. Okay. What are you doing at this rave? Mm. All right. Oh, well, I'm going to go try to get a drink. Oh, man, there's a huge line. And uh, you see a window opening up, but someone else is trying to cut in. Um, roll to see how you do. Mm. Oh, I got a four. Oh, you, actually, you were about to get in, and someone's elbow hits you in the side of the face, and a drink spills on you. You don't know where. Um you know, maybe you rolled a one and your lucky ring fell on the floor and you're now on your hands and knees and sticky goo and you're trying to find this ring, you know, without being stepped on. This is great. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying right. this. This is like all the good and bad parts of <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like you get are... too close to the magical yeah. DJ booth and there's sound pouring out of his mouth. He's got like a wand up to his mouth and that's where all the sound's coming from. He's beatboxing on the fly. <laughs> and um, suddenly um, you're... 
the wand gets pointed at you and you don't remember the words to the, the song. What do you say? <laughs> the beatbox words to the song. Yeah. What, you, you have to drop your best beat. Roll to see how you do. Oh, I rolled a 20. Oh, my God. The crowd goes wild. Color sprays going off everywhere. Everybody's <laughs> dazzled. There's, you know. Fairy fire. Fairy fire. Ooh. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, someone lights up the, sky, the, the ceiling to look like the sky and how there's twinkling stars and... You totally, I mean, Major Illusion would be really great here. Oh, too. yeah. Like, yeah. Just this higher level spells where you can just make anything look like anything. What's that one that we did, that we covered? Was it Hallucinatory Terrain? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can... The, that one is specifically only, I, I believe it's only like nature terrain. Oh, right. But right. you could make the inside of the house look like a nature terrain, yes. which would be kind of cool. That's what I would do. Yeah. So there you go. Um. Yeah. I liked I liked all your descriptions, all your like little role play moments to add in. That's pretty fun. I do what I, I don't have, I don't have any I don't have anything more to add to that. That was great. We're not rave I wa- people. I wanna I wanna go to this rave as my character now and as your you know, character again. We're not rave. People. Yeah, I'm not really good. It's too go loud. To a rave in and real life. I could pay a lot less money and get <laughs> a lot better. The sticky floor drinks. thing just makes me feel like that's that would be most of my experience. Is going like, why is this floor so sticky? I mean, and then you spend most of the time in the bathroom talking to your girlfriends and. Yeah, I don't really want to do that. No. I can talk to people here. I can hear them much better. <laughs> <laughs> we're old. Okay, so Adam already ruined the surprise, but we're going to move on to use that spell. Ba-da-ba-ba-bow. Use that moon spell. Moonbeam. <laughs> use that moonbeam. Um, the spell's moonbeam. Oh, moonbeam. What a surprise. What a surprise. It's an evocation. Okay, so the reason I picked moonbeam is because we already did dawn, mm-hmm. and it's like the exact same as dawn, but moonlight. It's a great choice. It's I mean, really Moonbeam's in- a very interesting spell. It's really interesting. Okay. Ha- have we talked at all about the schools? The no. spell schools? No. Okay. Maybe that is a topic for, for another podcast. But the schools in the, the... Moonbeam is an evocation spell. The schools of magic that every spell comes from has, has some meaning and has some some interesting qualities to it. Mm-hmm. It's maybe good to talk about later. Yeah, we should tease that for the next one. Yeah. Maybe you'll find out next time on... The next session. Yeah. <laughs> Use that spell school. <laughs> school of magic. Yeah. Witchcraft and wizardry. Yeah. Now we're going to get sued. Okay, Moonbeam. Uh, evocation, level t- level two, casting time one action, range 120 feet, components of ESM. The materials are several seeds of any moon seed plant and a piece of opalescent feldspar. What's a feldspar? I don't know, but it's an opalescent one. Ooh. <laughs> That's a shiny one, I suppose. Uh, the duration is concentration up to one minute. Um, a silvery beam of pale light shines down in a five-foot radius, 40-foot high cylinder centered on a point within range. Until the spell ends, dim light fills the cylinder. When a creature enters the spell's area for the first time on a turn or starts its turn there it is engulfed in ghostly flames that cause searing pain and it must make a constitution saving throw it takes 2d10 radiant damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one a shape changer makes its saving throw with disadvantage if it fails it also instantly reverts to its original form and can't assume a different form until it leaves the spell's light on each of your turns after you cast this spell, you can use any action to move the beam 60 feet in any direction. 
At higher level, when you cast the spell using a spell slot of third level or higher, the damage increases by 1d10 for each slot level above second. Page 261 of the Player's Handbook. Um, so yeah, Moonbeam. Really interesting. I really enjoy, well, that makes it me sound weird, but I, I, I like the part where um, if a creature uh, enters or starts their turn there, they're engulfed in ghostly flames that cause searing pain. Yeah, like, I like the term ghostly flames. Glo- ghostly flames. Like, that's not at all what I think about when I think moonbeam. I think like, ooh, pretty moonbeam in the, in the darkness mm-hmm. and it's light and it's so pretty shining through the trees or scary shining through the trees. But this is like, no flames, ghostly flames. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I've played quite a few druids in the past and this spell um i often really want to work into my druids like spell rotation uh although it's often hard to do because as a shapeshifter oh right uh, uh, you can't really put the spell down and then shapeshift because then i have to stay out of the area of the spell or or you have (laughs) to like spend the time to move it 60 feet right which might move it out of the area you need it to be. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting because you would think that it wouldn't affect shapeshifters considering that, like, um, werewolves you use think the worked, moon. work the opposite. Right, way, exactly. Right? You would yeah. think that if you shown pure moonbeam on... Um, like, buff a shapeshifter or something. Well, <laughs> I, w- I would think that it would force them to shapeshift. Oh, sure. Not shapeshift of them out. out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting spell in that in that effect especially for shape change stuff um it's also like to my knowledge is the only spell that like specifically you know has this kind of really specific effect on a specific kind of creature or a specific kind of ability like shape changing um where where it forces them out of out of their shape change and there are some shape changing abilities that can't be directly dispelled through a dispel magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only other way to to do that might be like an anti magic field, and even then, some of that doesn't actually apply because some shape change abilities are not explicitly magic, um, and therefore might not be affected the same way by an anti magic field. Which gets into like a really interesting question of magic versus not magic in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. But since that's not our, our, our main topic, it's just very interesting that this one in particular is so specifically targeted towards shape changers. I also can't think of any spell off the top of my head that fills anything with dim light. Mm-hmm. There's like bright light or no light, but dim light? What, what, like, what does that do? In this case, not really a whole hell of yeah, a lot. Yeah, not a whole lot. Unless but... the dim light is what's causing the ghostly fire, which then like, ah, stay away from dim light. I mean, it's not the fact that it's dim light. I think it's that it's moonlight and that it's a specific Can you imagine you know, hurtful moonlight? The right before right when the sun sets before the moon rises and you're in twilight and you're like, Oh my god, get indoors. <laughs> it's ghost fire time. It's some ghost fire going on going on. Um it's also very interesting this spell doesn't damage objects. Hmm. Um, it just hurts creatures. Um, Does Dawn hurt objects? I thought it just hurt creatures. I think it also, also just hurts creatures. But um, it's interesting because there's there's like um, lots of spells that you could really make a legitimate case for like, oh yeah, this would absolutely damage the stuff in the area, the objects in the area, even though they don't necessarily say it. Um, but this one seems to like really specifically damage creatures because you're creating light and the light causes a constitution saving throw to a creature that walks into the light. 
Um, so I think from that perspective, it's it's not really something that you could like use to like ghostly flame damage like a whole room or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, it, it really just affects the creatures that walk into the light. I'm a little surprised they didn't just call it ghost fire. You know, like what's the significance does, of calling it? It does it kind of feel beam? feel like you could could have called it ghost fire and just said <laughs> it's a big I, area yeah. that causes ghost fire. I think the only reason they they really do the moonbeam stuff is because of the shape shifting. Mm-hmm. You know, like that because it does something slightly different. They couldn't just call it ghost fire because then they would be like, well, why does ghost fire shape shift you? Right. I mean, why does no, moonbeam shape? I don't know, yeah. but there you go. Yeah, you know, I've always felt like this spell maybe has like more backstory to it than I'm I'm aware of. Yeah, you know, like, I'd be really curious what the team who put the spell together, whether I don't even know if this is from originally from this edition or if it's or if it stretches back further than that. Right. Um, but oh. the team who originally put it together, if there was like a real story behind like why a moonbeam forces a shapeshifter out of their shapeshifting form. And- why is um why is this called Moonbeam when the other one's called Dawn? Did Dawn come first and then they created Moonbeam? Or I mean, why isn't it Sunbeam? What up? There might be a Sunbeam spell. Oh well, there you go. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Should I look that up? Uh, not right now. Okay. If I think there, we can if, just speculate. If there's a Sunbeam <laughs> spell, feel free to uh write this wrong and Facebook me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, what do you think of the spell as a whole? Um, I like it. I like the idea of it. I don't know if I would ever use it. However, I am thinking, like, what would happen if I cast Moonbeam and you cast Dawn and we put them over the same area? I'm not sure that they're, like, contradictory to each other. Right. Would it happen all at the same time? Would you have radiant damage on top of radiant damage? Because the other one does radiant damage too, right? So I I think that you're thinking of... um... Dawn and Moon as like opposites of each other, um, but I think they're just different kinds of light that are coming down. Um, I I picture Dawn much more the opposite of like darkness or something along those lines, um, where like I'm I'm creating absence of light um, rather than specifically like like a, a opposite of Moonbeam. I, f- I feel like Moonbeam and Dawn could go hand in hand and, and have no impact on each other. Yeah, except we we already discussed that Dawn doesn't really work on magical darkness. Yes, because there's actually another effect that works yeah. on magical darkness. Um, so interestingly, Moonbeam is only a 5-foot radius and 40-foot high cylinder, and um, Dawn is a 30-foot radius, 40-foot high cylinder. Yeah, it's interesting. 5-foot radius is so is pretty small. Right. It's a pretty small area. Well, I, you know, here's the thing, though. Um, the moon doesn't actually shine itself, right? The moon is a reflection of the sun's light. So that's why it would be the same height, but um, not as not as strong. Uh, I figured right. it out as I All right, I guess so. <laughs> I win. I win D&D. Oh, I guess that's it. Well, <laughs> well it's been a lot of fun. Well, okay. Well, no. this is just one D&D. <laughs> Um, okay, so this one is a constitution saving throw. That Dawn is a constitution. Oh, wait, Moonbeam is also a constitution. You're uh, just trying to compare the two Dawn, spells. Yeah, I am. Dawn it takes 4d10 radiant damage, and Moonbeam only does 2d10 because it's half as much because it's a reflection. <laughs> what level spell is Dawn? Oh, I just turned it off. Um, five, and Moonbeam is two! <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that, is that significant in some way? It's half rounded down. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it's half as much because it's the moon, not the sun. <laughs> this is great. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm geeking out over this. You're not geeking out? No. <laughs> uh, I took astrology. <laughs> Astronomy. Maybe both. Um, <laughs> well, I, I definitely have always felt moonbeam seems like a really interesting spell and also always seems a little hard to use in my mind. Um, but, you know, 2d10 radiant damage. Radiant damage. Not moon. Moonient damage. Nope. Radiant. <laughs> well, because it's the sun's rays. Sure. Just reflect it. Yeah. 2d12, 2d10 radiant damage is nothing to, to, to blow your nose at. Yeah, it's, at level two. Not Especially bad. when you can make it consistent, you can keep doing that damage to something uh, that might be like standing in the same place, or, or you can move the moonbeam to specifically you know cover whatever bad guy that you want to do so yeah that's pretty nice plus you can pretend you're your sailor moon so you know win-win yeah i mean you can't stand in the moon though i mean i'm the moon princess of Actually, course i can probably my biggest gripe with this spell is the fact that i can't stand in the spell i mean you can't do it with dawn either no it's true um and it makes some of those spells really really challenging to use well unless of course you're an evocation wizard um, because if you're an evocation wizard, you can you can selectively choose to ignore certain people being affected by the spell. Um, but uh, it's just an interesting um, effect of the of the spell. I think it would be way more useful as a spell if I could stand in it, especially as a druid. If I could stand in it and be unaffected by it, and then I could like be like, "Who wants to fight me? <laughs> I'm gonna stand here in the moon and make sure that you." Transform out of your shapeshift day. <laughs> Are you saying that you're fighting evil by moonlight? Are you winning love by daylight? No, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I won't do it. Well, don't run from a real fight. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, it's the end of the podcast. Oh. <laughs> um, hey, thanks for listening. Um, Remember, you can contact us uh, through many places, but one of them is our website, nextsessionpodcast.com, and that is where you can submit your own question for us to totally botch. Yeah, I'm sure we will provide some inane or horrible answer to it. Uh, but you can find out if you submit it to us at our website, or you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. And um, we are also on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. I try to not just post... Uh, every week i try to add memes in there too but it's hard you guys well, do love some D memes i so. do too but yeah it's hard we're busy yeah. well i am the one called sailor moon yes <laughs> Is, does that make me tuxedo mask oh uh, i guess so Ooh, i'm gonna buy some roses <laughs> uh i'm adam john and i'm Alyssa john uh tune in next time and we will help you prep for the next session goodbye